It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That pretty starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it's only something to your own life. Beat it up and I've seen got no peace. The ladder puts the platter with the fear fight down. Like fire in the fire, the system of the gangs and the government for hire in the combat site. But you wasn't coming in a hurry, but you were getting down your neck. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. dark heart of the city, a mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones. You know, the city does have a dark heart, don't you think? <laughs> I much prefer being in the country, and that's where we that are right true, now, as actually. a matter of fact, in beautiful Gatlinburg, Tennessee, on top of a mountain. Ski Mountain, as a matter of fact, where there's a little bitty ski resort here. That's true. But it's May, so I would think that... Skiing season is over, especially <laughs> in the southeastern part of the United States. Oh, yeah. This is the hour of doom. And bloom. That's right, friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Survival Medicine Hour, an honest hour of observation in an obnoxious world. I'm Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand post videos and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. And I'm Nurse Amy. Also, I'm actually Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. That's right. And together we are the dynamic duo. We are the medical matrimony. We are the (laughs) prodigious pair. Absolutely. And we are here to help you keep it together even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident with a wily coyote? Well, our attorney says, meep, meep. Don't call me. <laughs> call Doctor Bones and Nurse Amy, and listen to this. Are you going to are going to read the disclaimer, or are you just no, fiddling around? I'm look. I'm looking at property in Tennessee. Why we have a property in Tennessee? I know, but no. This is this is thirty plus acres. Oh, There's one hundred and sixteen acres. I can't see the price though. Well, it's beware, probably ridiculous. Beware of hunting parties passing through our look at property. This. this creek front property look at that pretty creek yes very nice but right now what we want to talk about is our disclaimer (laughs) so talky talky talk talk do i have to absolutely (laughs) yes sir all information given and opinions voiced on dr bones and nurse amy's survival medicine hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings no contract or provider-patient relationship exists or is implied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nursing Me strongly urge our audience to seek modern and standard medical care whenever and wherever it is available. 
Ah, modern medical care is awesome when you need it, but what happens if you have to go without high technology? Will you know out there what to do if somebody gets sick or injured? Well, you know what? You can. You can show the world that somebody out there knows what to do for these kinds of problems in times of trouble. And while you're showing there you're that someone, consider getting some supplies and a quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge. And what better place to get it than lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated, never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. They'll help you handle medical issues you'll face in any disaster. And they are designed by an indeed Yours truly, an honest-to-gosh medical doctor. Hers truly, an advanced registered nurse practitioner. Compare our kits for contents, quality, and cost with anybody else's stuff. Or just ask anyone who's ever bought one of our kits, and you'll agree they're the ones you should have in your medical storage. Hey, you know, we learn as much from you as you do from us. That's painfully obvious. (laughs) (laughs) So go live, Clive, and reach out to old Dr. Bones and the lovely nurse Amy. It's easy, and here she is to tell you how yes you can email us anytime at drbonespodcast at aol.com find us on twitter at prepper show you can join our facebook group survival medicine dr bones and nurse amy follow our facebook page where you can get everything in one location that is doom and bloom and let's see what else. Oh, our YouTube channel. Don't forget that. It's Dr. Bones Nurse Amy. You did our Twitter? Yes. Oh. I did. Oh, my god! I didn't do it in a row, so I think I confused yeah, you. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm a creature of habit. You are. Absolutely. I mixed it up a little bit. And one <laughs> habit we have that's weekly is our other podcast, American Survival Radio, broadcast from all sorts of land-based radio stations in the U.S. of A. We want to welcome the... Voice of Beaumont, Texas. That's K-M-E-T-A-M, an ABC affiliate. Thank you so much for adding our program to your lineup, plus all of our other great stations, also our friends on Internet Radio at the Prepper Broadcasting Network, USA Emergency Broadcasting Network, and all the other great networks that carry our show. And for this show, the Survival Medicine Hour, a big shout-out to KYH Radio in Utah. We are... Here to talk about medical preparedness to Utahns everywhere. Utahians? Is it Utahians? Utahlings. (laughs) Folks from Utah. We messed that up. I'm so sorry. We apologize (laughs) and mean nothing by it. That's right. That's right. Oh, we want to thank everyone in North Carolina that came to see us at the Mother Earth News Fair. We had a great time there. It's all sorts of critters and there were all sorts of interesting talks. And we had a good good crowd. A lot of that, animals. Yes, a good crowd. Well, and also how to animals. take care of animals. People want to take care of chickens and goats and all that. You learn a lot a at lot these Mother stuff. Earth shows, right? Absolutely. Uh, beekeeping. Right, beekeeping. And all sorts of natural uh, products, not just medical, but uh, food products and things like that. We are going to be this weekend at the RK prepper show that's going to be in atlanta sort of south of atlanta in this jonesboro is, right well, it's not in jonesboro not jonesboro itself it's actually um near college park oh okay is the truth <laughs> all right so college near park the, Georgia. right near the airport right near the airport Can't if not, you are not far from the airport in atlanta georgia this weekend you can come see us and we're going to be giving talks we'll be exhibiting and showing off our medical kits and also doing a suture class uh, so if you want to learn how to do wound care suture class suturing stapling all sorts of stuff and more importantly when to do some 
those things and when not to, then come and see us. Now, after, I want to talk a little bit about something that we wrote an article about, and we actually did a a show in which we talked about it, but the show was wiped out oh when our gosh. computer crashed right at the time that we ended it. Dude. and. Gosh, before it got to terrible. go on Blog Talk Radio, it Ugh. was a disaster, and that that computer has not worked since. Nope, it's the, dead, dead, dead in the is, car, dead as a doornail. And we have solid we had, state hard drives. Yep, in, that burnt out there. Well, we don't know that. Probably the motherboard actually that burnt out. Okay, which well is we know about worse. as much as computers as I do, like how to build this table right here in front um, of us. Well, I think you do it. Putting wood job. together, I could figure <laughs> it out. Hey, I just put up a shelf. Yes, you did. You are a heck of a gal. I did. Well, let's talk a little <laughs> bit about what what we were talking about on that show. Uh, you know, after a disaster or if you live in a remote homestead, pretty much the medic for the family is not going to have ready access to modern medical technology. You might be a half hour away. You might be an hour away from the nearest hospital. Uh, the ambulance may not be just around the corner That's in right. these circumstances. That means that there are a lot of conditions that you commonly are able to identify with ultrasounds and CAT scans and all this other wonderful stuff they have in hospitals these days. But those kinds of conditions will be harder to diagnose and a lot more challenging. And one of these challenges is what is causing abdominal pain. There are various medical issues that cause it. And the classic example of an abdominal emergency is, well, guess what? Appendicitis. Over 300,000 Americans have their appendix removed pretty much every year. Oh, boy. The, the appendix actually is called the vermiform appendix. It's a hollow tubular organ, maybe a few centimeters long, a few maybe a centimeter wide. It looks like a worm. Then the word, indeed, vermiform means worm-like. Uh, the appendix is attached right at the entrance to the large intestine. That is sort of a pouch-like area that's called the cecum, and it's all the way down, and the appendix is also all the way down in the lower right portion of the abdomen, just about every person. Inflammation of the appendix can become a medical emergency very, very quickly. If ignored, it might become life-threatening. Now, of course, I just want to say that when the appendix, or any other organ for that matter, is inflamed, we add the suffix I-T-I-S, itis, to it. Therefore, inflammation of the appendix is called appendicitis. Inflammation of the colon is called colitis. Inflammation of the stomach is called gastro, well, you know, gastric. Gastritis. Right, gastritis and things like that. So, what purpose? Except all you call it is... Oh my gosh, my stomach, stomach is hurts. killing me. Right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Or oh my belly hurts. Right. <laughs> well, I just want to say that we know that we need a stomach. We know that we need a colon. We know that we I, need. You know what? I would actually be happy with half a stomach. <laughs> <laughs> I know. If somebody would like to have half my stomach, I will gladly <laughs> give it to you. Yeah. Not that I eat that much. I mean... No, you eat like we, a bird. We just went to like a, bird. a Mexican place. Uh-huh. And I had a taco, but it was just a, a corn tortilla. Uh-huh. Not even a flour tortilla. Open face. The thing was maybe, I don't know, five inches wide. With um, grilled shrimp and fresh tomatoes. What? I and hope a little bit of avocado. I hope, your, I hope your stomach wasn't appropriating Mexican 
Oh, food culture. Oh, no, I love Mexican food. Oh, there you go. I love me All some right. tacos <laughs> and some fajitas. There you go. Oh, and there's nothing better than a fresh salsa. Mm-hmm. So, we, but we, we know. enjoyed that salsa. But we know. But what was our point that we were talking about? The point about was is that the oh, stomach. Oh, I was going to give half my stomach up because <laughs> I don't hardly eat anything. And I still can't lose weight. And I tell you, I've been up and down the stairs in this house. How many times? Quite a few. Quite a few. Even today. Well, unfortunately for you, weight loss is not what we are talking about this time around. I know, but I'm still willing to give up half my stomach. What I I am going to make sure that point is. That's right. (laughs) So, what purpose does the appendix serve? We know we need a stomach. It serves a purpose. The intestine serves a purpose. But what purpose does the appendix serve? Charles Darwin believed that it was a leftover from an earlier time and that horses and some other animals have larger ones that help them digest vegetation so hmm so maybe we ate a lot of vegetation once and so we needed a append an appendix to help us digest that but today actually it's thought by many that it serves an immune function that is most evident in fetuses and very young children and it also is thought to be a reservoir for good gut bacteria. You know that there is a, there is good gut bacteria, there is bad gut bacteria. Absolutely. And, and they're finding that the good gut bacteria is actually extremely influential in our entire body system, not just what's going on inside the intestines or the stomach or your mouth, but actually influences your immune system. Exactly. Well, there you go. See, here's what, here's what I'm saying. The appendix has an immune responsibility in very early life, and the appendix, once you are an adult, still serves as a reservoir for that good gut bacteria. So let's say you had a bout of something horrible like cholera or dysentery. Well, you may still have some good gut bacteria hidden away in your appendix that can help repopulate the gastrointestinal tract with beneficial microbes that can get you over this dysentery or this cholera or other terrible epidemic disease. Now, I mean, having said that... All right, that means people should eat yogurt, fresh yogurt, Uh uh, and they should eat kimchi and naturally fermented unprocessed foods what is kimchi kimchi (laughs) i don't know exactly how Uh they process it i know it's not the best tasting but i know it's got a lot of really good bacteria for your gut all right so yes it makes you healthy in your intestines there you have it ladies and gentlemen kimchi sauerkraut is that two words you think or no it's one word one word okay i think it's k-i-m-c-h-i i I guess yeah or e-e no, it's I. I think it's I. Okay. But it's found in the vegetable department. We saw it over in Walmart. They had it. Believe at Walmart? It, they ha- I saw it in Walmart. Had kimchi. All right. Well, sounds awesome. It, did. it was near all the cut-up fruits and vegetables. Remember they had the cut-up mm-hmm. uh, mangoes and grapes and the yep, yep. And apples. So, and they had some kim- kimchi there. They had a Yep. They so, come in jars. But anyway, it's a, a naturally fermented food, and this... Bacteria helps to colonize the stomach, especially after you have taken a bout of antibiotics. There you go. So it's a way to get probiotics back into your body. Okay. Well. Yes. That's another, you know, you are 
<laughs> you are veering off the road. You're taking every turn. However, today. I will. I'm trying to help you out. You are dude. helping. You talk too much. You are you, helping me out. I'm not Very saying, much so. I'm not saying you talk too much in a bad way. You talk too much because you have a lot to say, and I don't always interrupt you. And I feel like you poor thing. You're just talking and talking, and I need to add something too. I am going to look up. How believe to, me, I appreciate it. What kimchi exactly is? See, kimchi. Kimchi. Okay. We'll find out. Well, it's I see. Korean. It. It's made from salted and see fermented, fermented vegetables, vegetables, mostly cabbage and radishes. Korean radishes. Wow. Which with all this good stuff. Listen, chili powder, scallions. Garlic, ginger, all sorts of good stuff that's actually really healthy. Wow, sounds awesome. I'm definitely going to try some of that soon. Now, I want to say, though, that although the appendix mm-hmm. may have an immune function, may have be a reservoir for good gut bacteria, there seems to be no major ill effects from having your appendix removed if you have to, although there are some studies that say there might be a small increases in intestinal problems like Crohn's disease and things like that, irritable bowel syndrome in people who've lost their appendix. Now, what actually happens in appendicitis? Well, appendicitis is related to an obstruction of the organ by usually some kind of calcified feces. Uh, In some cases, uh, that blockage can be caused by foreign objects, trauma, even intestinal worms can cause it. So how does this lead to a possibly life-threatening situation of, a, let's say, a ruptured appendix? Well, once blocked... The mucus that's produced by the appendix is unable to drain into the large intestine, the cecum, which is the beginning of the large intestine. And as a result, the appendix starts to swell because it's blocked. And once it's swollen enough, the the pressure on the appendix walls actually prevents the circulation that's necessary to keep the tissue of the appendix alive. The dying tissue loses its Integrity, flow, it may fill right. up with pus and right. you know, become infected, like dead things can. Uh, sort do. of a rotting, right? Would be a sort good of rots. Description, right? Becomes necrotic, Oof. as a, as they say. Necrotic is basically a death by loss of circulation. Right. Is necrosis is what they call it, and without treatment, is either going to become walled off by the body's defenses or may burst, and that's what we call a ruptured appendix. Now, once ruptured, an inflammation of the lining of an, the entire abdomen can occur. That is called peritonitis. And what that irritation does is it spreads the infection throughout the entire abdomen, and from there it can go into the circulation and, and spread the infection throughout the entire body. We call that sepsis. And if it's untreated, well, you may die as a final outcome. Now, many illnesses may be difficult for the medic to diagnose in austere settings, but even though we use ultrasounds and CAT scans to confirm our suspicions, appendicitis can be identified with some reliability based on physical signs and medical history. Now, classic signs and symptoms that suggest appendicitis is the cause of abdominal pain include pain that starts at or around the belly button, usually dull and aching, uh, loss, and, and that moves... As it evolves, it becomes sharper and it migrates to the lower right abdomen. The pain actually tends to localize to a specific spot that's about one-third of the way from the hip bone, if you touch your hip bone in front, and then go to your belly button, make a straight line about one-third of the way is where your appendix is. That's an area known as McBurney's Point, probably named after old Professor McBurney, I guess. 
And also, you'll see other symptoms. You, people get nauseous. They may vomit. They'll lose appetite. They'll have abdominal swelling. Uh, with, it, with infection and necrosis comes fever. And the intestines being inflamed stop working. So you may have an inability to pass gas. Things sort of Just sort get of, stuck. Yeah. That's exactly right. Now, once that appendix ruptures, the pain becomes general again. It's at that point until it ruptures. It's right at McBurney's point. But once the appendix ruptures, you have pus that goes all over the abdomen. The pain becomes everywhere. And the belly even becomes stiff and swollen. Right. That's right. You'll feel tenderness when you press down on the belly. That's called guarding. And also, there's another condition called rebound, and that's when you press down. Rebound tenderness. Right. When you press down, you have guarding, some pain as a result. But when you push down and then let go, then the pain is worse when you let go of the abdomen. That's called rebound tenderness. Now, it should be noted that other symptoms may present in a significant minority of patients. Uh, Cramping may occur in some cases. Some may complain of a painful or difficult urination. And as with any condition, signs and symptoms can vary from person to person. Now, other conditions may lead you, other than appendicitis, may lead you to suspect appendicitis when in reality something entirely different is going on. So urinary infections, right-sided tubal pregnancies, if a pregnancy occurs in a tube, it can over the course of just a few weeks fill up that tube, then explode it, causing bleeding. That could be life-threatening. Also, the same thing can happen with ovarian cysts. Uh, Starting off as a microscopic egg follicle, some of these cysts can grow very, very big. And when they pop, they can pop across the line of a blood vessel, causing a lot of bleeding as well. And also, the fluid they have inside them can be very uncomfortable. Then there's another condition called diverticulitis. Uh, That is an intestinal one. We'll talk about that in a second. And then, of course, you've heard of Crohn's disease. You've heard of maybe ulcerative colitis. And even pelvic infections due to sexually transmitted diseases, all of these things can mimic an inflamed appendix to one extent or another, and you've got to rule out uh, what actually you've got there. So we call that the differential diagnosis. So the things that it could possibly be, and by a process of elimination. Eliminating the other things, right? right? Exactly. If you have You narrow tests, it down. Right, you can do it by physical signs. You can do it by lab tests. You can do it by x-rays or, or other kinds of radiologic tests. So that however you do it, there is a way that you can figure out what's going on in many cases. Appendicitis is a good start because it's the most common cause of abdominal pain that's treated surgically today. And the procedure, when you treat it, if you can remove an appendix, it's usually curative, and the earlier it's performed, the faster the recovery and the less likely scarring will occur. And you'll find, uh, if you go to our website and our appendicitis article, we have a video of a open removal of a swollen appendix. They say open removal because, I mean, they, they actually put a an incision, bigger, a relatively large incision in the skin so they can get to the appendix. Nowadays, we usually remove the appendix through small belly button type incisions. But this video is a little bloodier than usual for this type of procedure, but it's worth taking a look at. 
Uh, now, ap- appendectomy can be performed, by the way, using a very small incision under sedation and local anesthesia if you had to off the grid. And this procedure is difficult as you can imagine for anybody that's not ex- uh, experienced, but it is something you may actually have to do and you have to deal with the patient discomfort and you have to save a life possibly. And so these are, these are things that are pretty complicated, but I also have a video of that done under local anesthesia that you can find in the same article. Now, of course, there are other ways to treat appendicitis if you can get it early enough. And uh, recent studies have explored the possibility of using antibiotics to nip an early appendicitis in the bud. The patient has to be placed on bed rest. You restrict them to a small amount of clear liquids as soon as you figure out what you think is going on. And, of course, it would be great if you had an IV line to be able to give your antibiotics that way. But off the grid may just not be an option. So in that Wait, case... let me just clarify yes. that you're not crushing up these tablets or these powders that you have and sticking it in the IV. Right. It's not what... That's it, not how that works. There are specific medications that are made strictly for IV. You can't drink those and you can't put the ones that you drink into your IV. Now, some of them I will say that might be possibilities if you could figure out how to maintain absolute sterility. Because remember, what you're doing is you're taking this fluid and you're shoving it directly into that person's circulation. And so Very if scary. you are not absolutely sure that you have sterility and that there are no bugs in there, well, you know what? Then you may be I have giving to, a death sentence to that patient. I, I have to tell you, I'm not sure I would even let you make some fluids to put do an IV. I mean right, I, I would have to be real, I couldn't I'd have to be on my death deathbed and frankly I, I think your idea of rectal rehydration is a lot safer in those situations. But the and problem that's what is we we would do. Well the problem though with that is that you may not be able to deliver the, medications uh, there. You might be able to deliver yeah. fluids, but so, the question as to how much medications would actually be able to be absorbed. Be in a absorbed. That's that's the question. Well, we do have some rectal medica- medications. There are indeed, but you know, uh, I'm insert. not. There are no rectal antibiotics that are that I know of. At least maybe at the we need to invent them. Aha! Because you know, what if people when people are sick? Yes. If you are vomiting and you you feel sick and you you don't necessarily need to go to the hospital. You well, know. we can call them old Dr. Alton's rectal antibiotics. I mean, we did, have antibiotics. Me- we did have anti-nausea medicine that you could do rectally. That's true. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, but as far as an antibiotic or an antiviral, they, I don't know. I've actually got to look into rect- that. Rectally delivered. What a good idea because for some research for me. That's the only alternative you would have if you don't have yeah. well, that's- options of somebody seriously vomiting and you're off-grid, how are you going to give the antibiotics? It's a great thing. they're just going to throw them up. It's a great thing to research because, you know what, ordinarily I just sit here drooling on my shoes in my rocking chair, and so now you've given me something to do. Maybe we need to invent rectally delivered antibiotics. Now, I will say that you could try... You could try Great. Next time, oral big, antibiotics. Big farmers, big farmer, big farmers, <laughs> going to have this under control in the next couple of years. Well, you never know, but we were there first. <laughs>
Now, there are circumstances where if you can do this early enough, perhaps a combination of different antibiotics may be a possibility in terms of cooling down a hot appendix. And so uh, some of the recommendations that have been made for this include ampicillin, which uh, is fish psyllin in veterinary equivalent, and and in combination with either clindamycin, uh, which is fish sin, C-I-N, or metronidazole, fish zole, Z-O-L-E, if you put them together in combination, they may have some effectiveness. In terms of penicillin allergy, Cipro, the veterinary equivalent is fish flux, may be a, a suitable alternative to ampicillin, but still you need to combine it with the other medicines. Now, all of these medicines have side effects, and Cipro especially is something that you have to be very, very careful about. But if you have somebody that you may lose otherwise, well, you know, you obviously have to make some hard decisions. Those are some of the hard realities that we see. Hey, have you experienced a joy that comes with helping the elderly? Well, you can help an old man, that's me, and your family by getting a copy of our award-winning third edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook, The Essential Guide for When Medical Help is Not on the Way. We've put together, I think, a pretty good book. We won the seven, uh, 2017 Book Excellence Award in the medical category, and I hope that you have some kind of first aid guide. At least our first aid guide, though, assumes that you are on your own, and is it completely, absolutely, in plain English, over 150 topics, and I hope that you'll consider it. Just go to Amazon.com, make sure you get the third edition, almost 700 pages of information for you. Of course, you can also get it on our website at store.doomandbloom.net. Well, since we're talking about abdominal organs, let's talk about <clears throat> another one. Let's talk about the gallbladder. Oh, The gallbladder, that is a hollow sort of sac-like organ and it's attached to the liver now the liver is you know the how the appendix is sort of in the lower part of your abdomen on the right the liver is in the upper part of your abdomen on the right matter of fact under under your lowest rib exactly that's exactly right now the gallbladder is attached to it and it stores a thick liquid substance that we call bile and the bile Which is, is nasty. Yes, Ugh, it is nasty looking, sort of greenish brown <laughs> oh, looking yeah. stuff. And, and it smells. And it's something that the liver secretes to help you digest fat. So the gallbladder is something that stores this thing that the liver secretes that helps you digest fats. And after a meal, the gallbladder oftentimes contracts and a little bit of bile passes through to the small intestine and. It does that through something called the bile duct and helps you digest. Now, excess cholesterol in the bile can cause deposits to occur, solid deposits, inside this pouch, this gallbladder pouch, that range in size from being minuscule grains of sand to maybe even the size of a golf ball. And these are commonly referred to as gallstones. Gallstones are pretty common. Maybe 10 to 15% of the population has them. That's why I'm talking about them because... If you are in charge of a large enough group of people in a survival community, you're likely going to have somebody in there that has the condition. Luckily, most people won't have any symptoms. Most people that have gallstones don't even know they have them. But in 1% or 2%, the stones actually block the ducts, and that causes pain as the gallbladder becomes distended, just like an appendix does, with excess accumulation of bile. And the inflammation caused by this is known as cholecystitis. So the cholecyst means your gallbladder, is Latin for gallbladder, 
and itis means inflammation of the cholecyst or, or inflammation of the gallbladder. There are two different types of gallstones, and one is cholesterol, I mentioned that, and that's the grand majority of them, and the funny thing is that they're not necessarily related to the actual cholesterol levels in the bloodstream. So it is sort of funny that you can have a perfectly normal cholesterol but have cholesterol gallstones in there that cause trouble. There's also another type of stone called bilirubin stones, which is sort of funny because when I was in college, I actually knew somebody that was on my dorm floor called Billy Rubin. No yeah, way. Billy, Bill Rubin. Oh, we call him, no. Call him Billy, oh, which that's is sort of funny. so funny. Did he become a doctor? No, he was a politician <laughs> or a political kind of dude. He became a lawyer, I think, or something. Well, anyhow, the... Billy Rubin stones are called pigment stones because they have uh, some color to them, a little reddish color to them. And this type may occur in people that have illnesses that destroy red blood cells. Uh, and, and they're seen in the minority of people that have gallstones. And uh, the byproducts of the destruction of red blood cells releases this bilirubin chemical into the bile and it forms the stone. Of course, there are cases that it's just difficult to identify a cause. You may have gall, cholesterol stones, you may have bilirubin stones, you won't know until you open somebody up and take out the gallbladder and that is something that hopefully you won't have to do ever. The pain associated with cholecystitis is known as colic. Colic. Bili- but Not colic like a baby has. Biliary colic is what we call it. It's crampy in nature and it's usually seen in a specific place in the upper right quadrant of the abdomen and may radiate to the back and, and if it's not relieved, what happens is, is the liver can become inflamed, the pancreas can become inflamed, and you may end up with a life-threatening situation. And now, a serious blockage of the duct with, corris- with corresponding inflammation of the liver and pancreas, that causes people to have certain symptoms, fever, nausea and vomiting, and they get jaundiced. People get jaundiced, they wind up having yellowing of the skin and the eyes. And so that's something that's pretty common and can be seen, then can be an issue. Now, gallstones are are commonly diagnosed by ultrasound, but you won't have modern technology off of the grid. The classical finding on physical examination, we call it Murphy's sign. That's pressing with one hand just below the midline of the lowest rib on the front right part of the abdomen. Just press down and ask your patient to breathe deeply. If the gallbladder is in trouble, the patient's going to complain of tenderness in that site. And of course, in a less politically correct era, risk factors for this condition were described as the four F's. Now, this is purely for historical purposes. Mm-hmm. F, the four F's were fat. In other words, the majority of those people with gallstones were overweight. Female, the majority of sufferers were women. Uh, 40, most sufferers are over 40 years old, and fertile, most women with gallstones have had children. Today, more sensitive souls, more politically (laughs) correct souls, actually prefer the acronym GOLD, G-O-L-D, G, genetics and ethnicity. That plays a role. Native Americans, Hispanics seem to have more gallbladder issues than Caucasians. Caucasians have more than African Americans. That's G. O is for obesity. Obesity, especially in women, is associated with at least twice the frequency of gallbladder disease. L, the location of body fat. There are different types of people, body shapes, those who have obesity that's concentrated in the torso are more likely to be at risk. 
and then D for diabetes, those with diabetes are more likely to have gallstones. So we have G-O-L-D. The most common treatment for gallstones, well, other than pain meds, is to surgically remove the gallbladder. You can live without it and stay healthy. And indeed, there are over 800,000 gallbladder surgeries performed every year. New methods include shockwave disintegration of stones. They do that not just with gallbladder stones, but also kidney stones. Acid treatments that may show promise for non-surgical therapy. And so there is hope uh, that will they'll wind up having less invasive ways of dealing with this. You know, operating rooms, surgeons, high technology. Unfortunately, these are going to be in short supply when the you-know-what hits the fan. So you might consider learning some alternative remedies that might be helpful, especially oral, oral versions. And, of course, some people use a number of different types of herbs uh, and other types of substances that may have some benefit. Apple cider vinegar uh, is something that people consider uh, good for someone who has problems with discomfort related to gallbladder, uh, to the gallbladder. Uh, peppermint, coffee, turmeric, alfalfa, ginger root, uh, red yeast rice, and dandelion root. Oh, so many different things that are considered to be good for the gallbladder, but it should be noted that hard scientific data proving the effect of any of these items that I mentioned is still sort of lacking. <laughs> And, you know, in terms of getting that hard data. so Well, who's going to pay for it? The problem is your scientific data usually comes from the big pharmacies. They're not going to put money towards something you can grow or pick. On your own? and yeah, exactly. or make. That they can't make with, a, a good yeah. profit off of, Mm-mm. right? So, absolutely right, buddy. Expose big pharma for what <laughs> they are. I'm not trying to. Yes. Yes, absolutely. You know what? I'm calling a cow a cow. <laughs> oh, there you go. All right. <laughs> That's all well, I'm saying. Well, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it's just a sad, another one of those hard realities that in times of trouble, it's going to be very difficult to eliminate. Well, it's going to be very difficult even in normal times to eliminate some of the known risk factors for gallbladder disease. I mean, you can't change if you're 40. can't change if you're female. And no, as much as you would like, no, you can't no. change if that you had children. <laughs> well... Some people think they can change from being female. Oh. Um, now again, I'm not making judgments. I'm just oh saying. Oh, my gosh. You're right. Nowadays, I think since... But, but your DNA is your DNA, no matter what you look like on the outside. Right. So, that so female if you're genetically female, it can't change that. Right. Is genetic. So how about that? Well, I must not have given this talk in quite a while on gallbladder because... <laughs> That was not things an issue have, and things, is now an issue. Things have changed just a Jeez little bit. Jeez Louise, my gosh. Well, all right. Well, hopefully I did not offend anybody out there. Um, uh, there are dietary changes that you can do. You can do, uh, that you can do. These would help you maybe lose some weight, which is, remember, obesity is one of the risk factors. So dietary changes to lower fat intake might help you lose weight and decrease the risk of gallstones. So this is something that, may be an issue. I have something to say. Oh, what? I, I was looking through this home and land. Uh-oh. Remember the Gatlinburg Castle? Yes, there you was, can... There just to let people know out yeah. there, there was a huge, huge house on the top of a mountain that used to be known as the Gatlinburg Castle. And, you and I think it... it burnt to the ground, didn't it? Well, it or burnt to the foundation. Much. No, there's, oh. there's still stone there. Uh-huh. But you can buy it. Wow. And so you can buy a, you an can actual buy castle that. or 
the site of it at least, is, well, and probably some of it. Can you imagine how much it would cost to restore that? Oh, it would be ridiculous. That, We'd have that to thing ask Trump a, for money, some of the wall money, uh, <laughs> to build the walls. <laughs> we can only convince him that Tennessee Wait. abuts Mexico. Yeah, right. <laughs> now, there's another curious one. There's just behind the Ripley's Aquarium, and I hope people who have been to Gatlinburg know what I'm talking about. But just behind Ripley's Aquarium, you can get 35 acres. Wow. 35-plus right behind it. and um, All one, these areas I know this, were burnt and this one badly I think during is, the fire a couple of years ago. It's close to us here where we are because this might be that ridge right over there. Oh, That's I see. Nine, we're going to be doing some exploring. Doing a little exploring, Bordering, I see. But it, see, look, it borders the national park. Uh-huh. So that's kind of cool. I think that is pretty well, cool. Well, because you know what? You aren't going to have a lot of traffic. Uh-huh. There's not going to be a lot of you know noise and barking dogs. And yep. Probably going to get still a lot of bears. A few growling bears. Well, uh, but we got them here anyway. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so well, that, was, that was just a little break. All right. Well, here's... Now we'll go back to your heavy stuff. And, and now back to our <laughs> regularly scheduled program. Well, let's see. What can I talk about? Well, I... I wanted to talk a little bit. You know, we we write about. It's all disaster. about belly pain this right. week. <laughs> Wait, well, we write about, and we're going to talk some more. Let's talk a little bit more about belly pain. Oh no! And, and something that we personally have experienced. Now, we often write oh, yeah. about disasters that we personally experience. We've been through hurricanes, tornadoes, epidemics, just to mention a few. And of course, we we were just talking about areas of Gatlinburg that were threatened by the wildfires. Our home was. Threatened by the wildfire, over a hundred homes on our mountain were burnt to the foundation, killed fourteen people. Gosh, it was Horrible. horrific, Ugh. and uh, we were blessed to have avoided any injury or or even damage to the houses. Just uh, the whim of the winds, as they say. Now we've written about a number of medical issues uh, that we've experienced. I've experienced, for example. Tuberculosis. I converted to positive for tuberculosis during my work in the ERs of inner city Miami with uh, Cuban refugees during the 1980 Mariel boat lift, and I still carry off small walled-off nodules in my lungs on x-ray even after months of taking different drugs. I think they put me on three different drugs for several months after Let's call them medications. Let's call them medications. (laughs) Medicines. Yes. Things, healing healing products. Drugs. I was taking drugs. Healing products. Yeah, man. Three different ones. So we also had one in which you experienced that I didn't really experience, but you did. It was on a trip to New York City to visit our uh, daughter, Stephanie. We both experienced a medical issue so common. you I mean, much more. I, you I, did well. I was I? I, I you had it mostly. It's true. That was so common. That's, that's because a, I had the raw oysters. Right. Remember. That's right. And that is. And I'm pretty sure. And I also had a hot dog in Times Square. And that was so, acute. Are you the double whammy there? It was either either or, or it could have been a little both. I could have gotten a little from the oysters and then finished myself off with the hot dog <laughs> the next day. Well, you developed and. <gasps> Uh, me to a lesser extent, acute gastroenteritis. Acute means that it came on rapidly. Yeah, it wasn't cute Gastro- like a little puppy. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't no. cute. It was acute. Uh, <laughs> and gastroenteritis means, gastro means stomach, Enter- enteritis means inflammation of the intestine, so inflammation of the stomach and intestine, otherwise known as the stomach flu. You probably have heard of that. There you go. Well, when this infection hits you, it makes even the healthiest individual miserable 
and uh, the lovely nurse Amy here required an urgent care visit to, which I think is that was that the only time that you've ever. That was a Russian very, doctor. Very rare. Oh, a Russian. Yes. That was about yes. the fastest doctor visit. Do you remember? Yeah. He was in that room for what about three minutes? Yeah. He probably sees people like calling you all the time, calling, coming from other places had, to New York. He had our pharmacy number, and those girls up front were calling that that pharmacy in the prescription in. Within five minutes. Maybe he owned that hot dog stand. <laughs> Maybe this is all I'll a plot, what, a Russian collusion plot. That, was, that was the worst taxi drive I have ever been in. Oh, you We've were been in some pain. harrowing, but yeah, I, I, I thought I was dying, and I'm in a taxi. And it was horrible traffic, whatever. Well, as you can imagine. Life urge- stinks sometimes. Yeah. And you know what? It makes you stronger if, you, if you get through it. I'll tell you this much, that an urgent care visit is no small issue in a strange and heavily populated city. Place, no. place like New York City, my gosh, was the, possibly the worst place to get it. <sighs> and the funny thing is that she was diagnosed with something called norovirus, N-O-R-O virus. Mm-hmm. She was just one of nearly 2 million outpatient visits that are caused by norovirus infection every year, and that's just in the USA. Norovirus is the most common cause of viral gastroenteritis in humans, period. It used to be called Norwalk virus after the area where it was first identified in the 1960s. See that? It was only, we've only actually had it around or at least recognized it. Had as a such, name for it. it. Right. In, uh, since the 1960s. Now, since then, it's been blamed for 50% of all stomach flus in the United States and worldwide, there are more than 200 million cases of norovirus infection so, every year. So I have an idea. So if you, you get sick and you're pretty sure this is it, terrible stomach pain, nausea, you may or may not vomit. Not everyone vomits. And you may or may not have diarrhea either. But the pain is so bad. So when you call in to work, you need to call in sick. Don't say, I have the stomach flu. Say, I have norovirus. No. Yeah, it's well, a, they're not going to want you to come little, in if you have norovirus. It's a it little, sounds it infectious, does. That's what I'm saying. And it is. Say, I have norovirus. It is in, it is in a sense. It is actually, it, you're actually going to be telling the truth, most likely. <laughs> and it sounds much scarier. I'll tell you, it affects just about everyone. It can affect kids. It can affect adults, elderly. It's particularly dangerous in the elderly. And, of course, uh, you know, very, very young people children like toddlers and stuff like that and if you're you have a weakened immune system because of another medical issue well big problem and it's most commonly seen in the winter but you see some in the spring as well that norovirus is so contagious that just five to 20 viral particles can cause illness so can you imagine five little bitty so i'll tell you what i got ultra microscopic viruses i got five from the oysters and and probably 20 from the the hot dog then you got 25 which is even more (laughs) than what you needed to cause illness it is easily transmitted through contaminated food or water any close personal contact even air droplets if they come if you happen to be near somebody vomiting from it uh it can occur in contaminated food counters can you imagine i'm actually in some sur- of those places in new york that oh we gosh. went how I'm many act- how, what the food counters were no, like i'm actually really surprised that you didn't get sick because we were in a hotel room it wasn't well, I felt like queasy wasn't like you could escape i felt queasy but i have sort of a cast iron stomach anyhow 
Yeah, except for the heartburn you have every day. Yeah, but that's <laughs> that's above my stomach. That, that's up in my above chest. Above your legs. Probably. I'm just probably having small heart attacks every day. No, stop it. I'm at that age. Not happening. Well, it could also happen from toilet handles, from flushing and stuff like that. Well, in any case. This is why we always carry alcohol wipes yeah. and sanitizer. And, yes, absolutely. Except you can't hand sanitizer your hot dog and your... Raw oysters. Right. Just don't eat them. And by the way, I was in a high-end restaurant. We had one. We never eat at high-end restaurants. No. Never. We're broke. But it we're was like a po-po. special thing. Mm-hmm. And you were being very nice. And you said, oh, I'll take you out to a nice restaurant. Very rarely we do this. And then look what <laughs> Very happened. rarely am I nice? No, oh you're my nice gosh. all the time. But we oh just, you know what? I feel like if we waste money when you buy expensive food. Because what happens the next day? <laughs> <laughs> Where's all that expensive food a very, go? <laughs> you are truly a wise woman. <laughs> hey, well, if, you, you any, if you want a steak, just grill it yourself. Usually, you, you can make it exactly the way you want it. And what's the big deal about a baked potato? You know, True. ooh, baked potato. <laughs> well, I have an example of how just how contagious the norovirus is. In one outbreak that was reported in 1998, there were 126 people dining at a restaurant when one person vomited on the floor. Uh-huh. Now, they cleaned up rapidly, but of those 126 people, 52 people fell ill in the next three days. Just because that stuff floated around. That's right. More than 90% of the people that later died dined at the same table that night reported symptoms. More than 70% of the diners at... Nearby tables, adjacent tables, got sick. And at tables at the other side of the restaurant, the rate was still about 25%. That is they a hell of a virus. They should shut that restaurant down what, I, I hope for they a, a day till they could get their handle on, get a handle on this dispose thing. Dispose of all of those things. It can live, nor, norovirus can live for long periods of time outside of human hosts. It can live for weeks on countertops, 12 days on clothes, they say. It can survive for months in still water. Uh, however, good news, disinfectants that have chlorine, like bleach, will quickly eliminate it as well as heating it sufficiently. Ten percent, right? One part bleach, nine parts water. Ten exactly. percent that, solution. That'll do it. And now, the symptoms of the stomach flu, just in case you know, norovirus would include nausea and vomiting, a watery diarrhea, sometimes severe, as in Amy's case, abdominal pain. I will say... And this that, occurs... Wait, I just want to say that yeah, it occurs ahead. within 12 to 48 hours of exposure. That's how we yep. narrowed it down to that hot dog or some oysters that you had. And actually, you know what? I had it wrong. It was the hot dog at lunch, and then that night we ate that dinner. Dinner, yeah. So I had a double whammy that day, and so therefore we can't decide which one it is. Well, it could but have I, been whatever your... Was, weren't the oysters like an appetizer? Yes. What was the main... Do you remember what you ate as the main course? Um, could even be, have been that. I don't, actually. must have been a fish dish. Aha. Well, that could but, do it, too. But usually fish is well-cooked. Yes. That's the thing about the oyster. Anyway, I just wanted to say about the stomach pain is it, at least in my case, was something called colicky. So I'm going to let you explain colic. Right. The colicky so, pain. Basically, colic is caused by the... Um, contraction of the muscles in your intestines. Now, you have muscles in your intestines that naturally move things through your gut and eventually out. And when that 
it goes overboard, you have really strong contractions of those intestines. It can be very painful. And, and so what happens is it, 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 any woman who's had labor, felt labor pains, men won't understand this, but it starts off kind of light, and then it gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger, and then it gets a peak. And you, it, there were times when I was, I don't want to say screaming because we were in a hotel room, but I was definitely uh, moaning quite loudly in pain. But it would come and go, and that's the whole point. It wasn't consistent. It wasn't all the time. It would come and go really, really bad, and then it would go away, and I'd think, oh, I'm getting better, and then, bam, hit you again. Absolutely. Now, outbreaks of norovirus infection often occur in places that are closed spaces. So cruise ships, this is at nursing homes, places like that. These are where the worst norovirus epidemics, I guess a better good way to call it, uh, actually occur. And so that's something that you have to watch out for if you're going to be going on a cruise or you have relatives in a nursing camp. Of course, uh, nursing homes, also camps, I was about to say. Nursing camps. Nursing that camps. That actually sounds fun. Yeah, well, when I get old, I want to go. When I get old, I want to go to camp. <laughs> okay, nursing camp. Does yeah. that sound fun? Nursing home camp. <laughs> right. The bad news, no we cure. Have scooter. No cure for norovirus infection. Antibiotics not effective. They are meant to kill bacteria, not viruses. Treatment involves basically staying well hydrated and riding it out. So remember, uh, if you're dehydrated, you'll have a dry mouth. The the urine will get darker in color. There'll be less quantity of it. You may get dizzy when you stand up. The skin may lose a little elasticity. may tent up when you pull on it. doesn't snap back. Uh, And uh, children may or, or infants may not have tears when they cry or be unusually irritable uh, di- anti-diarrheal medications may help like Imodium, anti-vomiting drugs like Zofran, these things may help cure may not be available, prevention that's another issue and so what you need to do is wash your hands frequently with soap and water, especially after using the restroom or handling food, be sure to do this for her at least a couple of weeks after you're becoming, becoming infective you can be contagious for that long wash your food well before cook, uh, uh, before cooking Cook shellfish especially thoroughly. Disinfect contaminated surfaces in your kitchen with a bleach solution. Avoiding close contact with others when you're sick. Don't you share utensils or other items like that. Wear disposable gloves if you're handling soiled items. And immediately remove and wash clothes that may be contaminated with vomit or feces. Machine dry them if at all possible for the heat. You know, it's going to be difficult to completely eliminate the risk of norovirus, but careful attention to hand and food hygiene. long way towards avoiding the stomach flu. That is all the time. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website next week. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at Chabacasino.com. 
Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.